0: Welcome to Lilac Wine, the podcast. On our last episode, Billy and Robert finally made it off the SS Sydney, and Billy was a little reluctant to explain to Robert why those men were bothering them. If you missed that episode, please go back and listen to it and the previous episodes. I don't want you to miss anything. I am releasing this novel in progress one chapter at a time. It was the summer of 1917. As America prepares to shed her blood on a distant shore, two lonely people are brought together by fate. Torn apart by war, consecrated by wine. Lilac wine. And now, lilac wine. Chapter 16 By the time Robert rolled out of bed that Sunday morning, the town was already beginning to talk about what had happened the night before. And by that evening, many people in town would believe that Robert had brutally killed a man on the deck of the SS Sydney and dumped the body in the Mississippi. After all, they said, he was... From Chicago. Such is the nature of stories in a small town. Unaware about what was beginning to transpire among the townspeople that morning, Robert stumbled downstairs aloud, pounding in his head. His face and side throbbed in pain. He had been awoken by Teddy's wet tongue, licking the side of his face, no doubt tasting the dried blood from last night's altercation. That rather disturbed Robert, who imagined that one day Teddy would gnaw his face in his sleep now that he had the taste for blood. With the large dog obediently at his heels, he found a note from art on the kitchen table, alerting him to the pot of coffee on the stove. At the bottom of the note was a simple request. Perhaps you can join me at church next Sunday. Next was underlined. Robert dropped the note back on the table and lit the burner of the oil tank below the pot of coffee. Coffee is all that he wanted at this moment. He wasn't sure exactly how he was going to explain the swollen eye. He himself wasn't completely sure what had happened. Elements of the night were still fuzzy. When the coffee was adequately heated, he poured a cup and took a swallow. The warm liquid felt good going down his throat. The Sunday paper sat on the table, and Robert glanced at the headlines. It was hard to focus on the text with just one eye, and he soon gave up. Closing his eyes instead, he inhaled the aroma of the coffee. He had never gotten to a scuffle quite like that before. He, like most boys, had had his school-ground fights growing up, but those never amounted to much. Of course, there was the time a few months ago when he had picked a fight with a loud boisterous drunk who had dared to disparage Conrad in his own establishment. Up until last night, that was the worst fight in which he had ever found himself. He had never seen that man in Conrad's before. He was a short, balding man with a well-trimmed mustache, no one out of the ordinary. He certainly didn't raise suspicion like some people did when they walked into bars. Upon hearing the accent of the barkeep, however, he launched into a tirade against Huns and Krauts. It had been a relatively quiet evening up until that point. Robert sat by himself at the bar warm with beer. Like others in Conrad's, he had attempted to simply ignore the man. But when the loudmouth started blaming Conrad for the sinking of the Lusitania, he had had enough. You're a fucking baby killer. Go back to your own country, the man screamed. And with that, Robert lost it. He jumped from his seat and punched the man squarely in the face. The man was startled, and when he lunged for Robert in return, Robert pummeled the man's face with his fists. It wasn't much of a contest. The man was drunk and disoriented. Some of the other patrons who had sat not saying or doing anything when the incident began started cheering and applauding. Robert got lost in the moment. Caught up in the energy of the fight, he swung viciously and pushed At one point, he had the man on the ground and was about to smash a bottle into his face when his arm was stopped. He flashed in anger at the person who had dared to stop him at his crescendo. Conrad, who held his arm, didn't need to say anything. His eyes said it all. There was no anger in those eyes, no resentment. If those eyes could speak... They spoke gentle words, as if to say, enough, no more, it is done. And all of the anger rushed from Robert like air. His knees almost gave out. He felt exhausted. He staggered over to a barstool as the man on the floor coughed and rolled over in the sawdust. Conrad walked over to him. My name is Conrad Mueller. "'he said. The bar was silent. "'I own this place. "'I may not be from here, "'but I am an American. "'I love this country more "'than you can possibly imagine. "'This country has given me much "'to be thankful for.' "'He knelt down beside the man "'who recoiled nervously, "'expecting another punch, no doubt. "'When the Lusitania was sunk, "'you have no idea what that did to me. I gave up my homeland. Do you understand? Six months later, I became American citizen. So be careful who you tell to go back to his country. This is my country. Conrad then turned, retied his apron, and took his place behind the bar. Slowly, the other patrons resumed their conversations, clinked their glasses together in cheers, and began laughing once again. No one even saw the man get up and leave the bar. Conrad set a mug of vice in front of Robert. "'There are ways to do things, my young friend,' he said. "'And most of the time you don't need these,' he held up his fists. "'Using these is too easy.' And that is the problem with the world today, I'm afraid. He then set his hands gently once again on top of the mahogany bar and, reaching for a white rag, began wiping it down. But the things he said, Verds, is all. I've been around for a long time, and I have been called verse things. Trust me. And that was the last time Robert had punched someone in the face. That is, until last night. But last night was different. It was self-defense. It was... He looked down into his cup and saw a shimmering reflection of himself in the coffee. It was necessary. Those guys intended to hurt Billy. He was sure of that. Why? That was something he didn't quite understand. And he wasn't sure if he really wanted to know, truth be told. Some things are better, just not knowing. He took another sip of coffee, his faint reflection swirling in the dark liquid like an apparition. He suddenly became very aware of his surroundings. The ticking of the clock on a shelf in the other room, the panting of the dogs, the birds outside, the throbbing synchronized to the beating of his heart, which seemed to shake his whole body. And for the first time in a long while, he felt truly alone. He had been alone for much of the last few years, especially with the passing of his mother. But now, with the piano shop gone, and he out in the middle of nowhere, sitting in a kitchen of a relative he barely knew, the loneliness was palpable. And he felt like that reflection in the coffee, a mere ghost that could disappear at any moment, leaving neither a trace nor a memory. A funeral without mourners. That was the reality if he were to die today. Taking another sip of coffee, he pushed that thought out of his mind. He thought about Abelia instead and smiled. He found himself thinking about her often. There was something about her, a kindred spirit, perhaps. Whatever it was, he enjoyed her company. Although it had only been a little over two weeks since he arrived in Lily Springs, it was those moments with Abelia that he looked forward to most during his day. There were times and moments of boredom when he thought of excuses he could use just to see her again. Admittedly, there wasn't much that he came up with, but it became a fun game nonetheless. And those days when she didn't have any post, he was thankful that he still had the newspaper to deliver. The newspaper. He looked down at the Sunday Telegraph Herald sitting on the table. Art usually picked up the stack of papers each Sunday morning at the station so that he could enjoy the newspaper over a cup of coffee. Art was the only person in Lily Springs to read the paper on Sunday, actually, as the papers would not be delivered until the following morning. Lily Springs no longer had a delivery service for newspapers, which is why delivery was completed by the post office. A young man named Bradley Abel delivered the paper for years, ever since he was about 10 years old. But on his 18th birthday four years ago, he left town. Where he went or what became of him, no one knew. His parents claimed that he moved to Des Moines and was working for State Senator Nicholas Schrupp on his relief efforts to help the starving people in Belgium. Others claimed that the young Mr. Abel was working the docks in St. Louis. Wherever he was, he sure wasn't in Lily Springs, and it seemed to Robert that the town didn't take kindly to people who just left. They felt slighted. Or jealous, he couldn't quite tell. But no one wanted to take his place. So the post office filled the void left by the young man's departure. Robert wasn't even sure if the paper that sat each morning on Art's kitchen table was actually his. Last Sunday, he noticed a coffee stain across the War Scoops comic on the back page of the Telegraph Herald. Later, the next day, he caught a glimpse of a very similar stain on the paper, He delivered to Mrs. Johnson on Magnolia Drive. It would be a nice surprise for Abelia to have her Sunday paper on Sunday. Plus, it was a nice excuse to take a walk across town and pay a visit. He freshened up by splashing some cold water in his face and changing into a clean shirt. His eye was still swollen and black, but the thought of seeing Abelia brightened his spirits. Looking in the mirror above the basin, he applied a comb to his disheveled hair. Teddy looked up inquisitively from his feet. Robert glanced down at the large dog, who cocked his head as he spoke. "'I know,' said Robert. "'Not much of a sight today, am I?' Teddy let out what sounded like a groan, but then turned his head in the direction of the door. Dogs began barking downstairs, and soon Teddy took off down the hall. "'Robert!' a voice called out. "'It was art.' Robert placed a comb back on the dresser. Where the hell are you, Robert? He called out again, his voice with a touch of anger, it seemed. Not the attitude one usually has after a return from church, Robert thought. Art was in the kitchen as Robert came down the stairs. What the hell happened last night? Art shouted as he turned to face Robert. He paused as it took a moment for the young man's appearance to fully sink in. What the hell happened to your face? He asked. Robert sat down in one of the chairs on the table. Well, that's a long story, he said. Well, you're going to have to spill it, Robert. Tom is on his way. Got some questions for you. Apparently, something happened on the steamer last night. Gerald pulled me out of church to find out where you are. Robert couldn't believe what he was hearing. Fights happen all the time in Chicago, and no one raises a finger unless someone is killed. Perhaps this was worse than he thought. Tom Brooks received a call from Dubuque this morning, Art explained. He then told Robert that two people were in custody in Dubuque and Billy had been fingered as one of the culprits. Plus, a young man not from around here, he added, and you are the only young man not from around here. Robert let out a loud sigh, not knowing what to say. And from that shiner you got, I could tell that there is some truth to what's been spoken. I was jumped, Art. Billy was being attacked, and I tried to defend him. As simple as that. In the process, I got the shit kicked out of me for nothing. Art held up his hand. Please, no cussing. It's Sunday, for Christ's sake. He turned towards the stove and picked up the coffee pot. It was empty. I don't know what to do with you, son. This doesn't look good for the post office, that's for sure. Wait a minute, Robert said indignantly. I didn't do anything wrong here. I was defending. Suddenly, the dogs let out collective barks as the doorbell rang. That'll be Tom, said Art, heading for the door. Stay here. Robert had met Tom several times since arriving at Lily Springs. As the town constable, he didn't know why they still used that term, Tom could be seen daily walking his horse around the town triangle. He didn't ride the horse much anymore. It seemed to Robert that the horse would collapse with any weight at all but nonetheless, Tom doted on that horse. There wasn't much Tom did in Lily Springs, Robert reckoned, and he could only imagine how he would take to a situation like this. Tom was ushered into the kitchen, dogs following at his feet. He removed his hat. Morning, Robert, he said. Don't get up. He sat down at the kitchen table across from Robert. A shiny star was pinned to his shirt, and Robert noticed a large belt around his waist and a revolver resting in the holster. He had never seen Tom with his gun before. Want some coffee? offered Art. I'm afraid this isn't a social call, he stated in an overly dramatic fashion as he pulled a small pad of paper from his back pocket. But coffee would be nice. As Art proceeded to make another pot of coffee, Tom flipped through the pad, squinting occasionally at the words written on the pages. Robert had seen Tom reading with glasses before. In fact, Tom could be found most afternoons under the Civil War statue reading the newspaper and catching a nap, his glasses resting on the bridge of his nose. But apparently, he had forgotten his glasses this time, probably in the excitement of playing cop, Robert thought, trying to hide a smile. This was turning into something from a Charlie Chaplin film. "'Where were you last night, Mr. Bishop?' Tom asked with a tone of seriousness, which Robert had difficulty taking seriously. I was aboard a steamer with Billy. Which steamer? I think you know which steamer. Just answer the question, please. He sighed. This was going to be a long day, he realized. If only he had left for Abelias a little earlier. The SS Sydney, I believe it was. The questions continued, and Robert answered them all each time. Robert attempted to elaborate, however. He was interrupted. I'll ask the questions here, Tom often stated. Robert told him everything he knew. And in the process, they finished an entire pot of coffee. Art sat quietly at the table, occasionally shaking his head in disapproval. Especially whenever beer or drinking was mentioned. Why these fellows go after Billy... Tom asked. I don't know. Why don't you ask Billy that question? Robert decided not to discuss the words those guys used to taunt Billy. Tom didn't need to know that. It would only complicate matters. Already did this morning before coming here, he replied. He finished the coffee in his mug in a loud gulp and set it on the table. There was silence. And what did he say? Robert asked. Tom closed his notebook can't discuss that. It's part of an ongoing investigation. He leaned back his chair, creaking from his weight. Robert hoped it would break. But it held, unfortunately. Your stories collaborate, he said. Art leaned over in a whisper, corrected Tom. "Corroborate," he said. Tom ignored him. One thing I could tell you, though. These guys claim it was you who picked the fight with them. "'One guy's got a busted nose, a little worse off than you, I reckon.' "'So where do we go from here?' asked Art. "'I don't know. It depends on what the boys down in Dubuque decide. "'I'll give them a call, but until then,' he stood placing his hat back on his head. "'Don't go anywhere in case I need to ask some more questions.' "'He turned to leave. "'Good day, Mr. Bishop,' he said with a tip of his hat.' Robert sat at the table as Art ushered Tom to the front door the pack of dogs, following obediently. Only Teddy stayed behind. He sat next to Robert, looking up with forlorn eyes. Robert scratched his head, listening to Art and Tom as they stood in the hallway. Keep an eye on him, Art, Robert heard Tom say as the door was opened, waves of summer sunshine pouring into the hallway. Nothing but trouble, that one. It was at that moment when Robert wished he had never set foot in Lily Springs. So with chapter 16, that brings us to page 150. So we are just a little over, 25 pages over the halfway mark. I have 250 pages of this novel written. And the goal is to finish reading it and then continue writing it, finishing this sucker up as the podcast goes. So that's gonna put us into summer, and I'm hoping to keep up with the schedule. We will see so we had spent three chapters with Billy and Robert, uh, mostly aboard the Sydney, and now we are back dealing with the ramifications of that night and Robert is uh he's he's learning that a small town is not at all like. Chicago. We got him thinking again about Abelia, and that's going to bring us to the next chapter, where he's going to go to Abelia's house once again. The Fourth of July is coming up, and there's a big Lily Springs party every year, and uh, that is coming up too in the near future. And we're also going to revisit Robert's World War One dream. Yeah, the war is going to be quickly encroaching onto their lives. If you haven't done so, go to lilacwinenovel.com and sign up for our newsletter. I am making some t-shirts, and we'll be giving t-shirts away to listeners and um, offering some other goodies as well as we go, just as a thank you for sticking it with me for all of these weeks. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, Go to lilacwinenovel.com and let me know what you think. Ask me a question. I'd be more than happy to answer it. Give me some constructive criticism. Tell me what you think. And more importantly, tell your friends. You could go to uh, iTunes and you could make a comment, a review about the podcast. That would be Wonderful. Over the past couple of weeks, we got some press, which has been very nice. We were in a local newspaper out here, the Daily Herald. We were also featured in Inside Radio and also on Pod News. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be getting some more listeners. Hopefully you are enjoying this podcast, the story of Abelia and Robert. More to come. I am Bruce Janu. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be right back here next week. See you then. This podcast is produced by bell book and camera productions visit bellbookcamera.com for more information lilac wine is written and produced by me bruce david janu all content is copyrighted and cannot be used without expressed written permission if you are liking lilac wine the podcast please take a moment and give us a rating on itunes that will help us gain more listeners connect with us on instagram facebook and twitter as well The intro voiceover was provided by my colleague and friend, Rachel Vissing. We work together on another podcast at the school where we both work. That podcast is We Are EG and tells the stories of students and staff at Elk Grove High School, but demonstrates that no matter where you are, we all have something in common. Check that podcast out at weareg.org and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. All music and sound effects are licensed through audioblocks.com. Please visit Lilac Wine Novel to join the discussion. Ask me questions, make comments. The purpose of Lilac Wine, the podcast, is to discuss the creative process. Your comments and suggestions are greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening.